Before we start the show, a reminder to follow all of our political reporting on the NPR One app. That's N-P-R-O-N-E. You can find all your favorite podcasts, including Car Talk. That's right, Car Talk, not just on your radio, also available as a podcast with advice, tips, troubleshooting, and occasionally answers to car questions. Get Car Talk now on the NPR One app or at npr.org slash podcasts. Okay, here's the show. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. Six days left till the election. Oh, my goodness. We are here with another daily episode for you. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover demographics in the campaign. And I'm Susan Davis, and I cover Congress. We have not all three been in the same room in a while. In a long time. It's like a dream team, guys. (laughs) Was it maybe the conventions? Sue, I was saying it's a dream team. I like how she doesn't (laughs) even respond. I just know that. Some of you folks have noticed uh, on Halloween, Ron Elving, the great distinguished Ron Elving, was me for Halloween. Did he wear chambray and black pants? Just kidding. I was actually Ron (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to all those that gave us uh, some love via social media. It was really fun to dress up like one of my role models. How'd it feel? I, I, listen, y'all know how I feel about Ron Elving. Yeah. Like you felt smarter by dressing I up did. in his clothes. Like those he clothes. is my personal hero. I was fine with being him for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about where the race stands now. There is this growing sense that Hillary Clinton's lead over Donald Trump is shrinking. The Clinton campaign announced yesterday that she will be campaigning in Detroit later this week. But Michigan is supposed to be a state that is going to be hers with no problems. Clinton campaign also announced some ad buys in states that should be bluish, like Colorado and New Mexico and Virginia. Right. And if you remember a week ago, the conversation was about, is Hillary Clinton expanding the map? We were talking Uh about Texas and Georgia. And a few days later, we're now talking about her going into states we shouldn't even be talking about this time of year. What does that mean? You know, I think obviously the most the the thing you would point to as as an event is FBI Director Comey disclosing that they are reexamining emails related to Hillary Clinton's private server. That was obviously a much discussed and much debated a news event that has affected maybe how voters are thinking in the closing stretch of yeah. the race. And then you just have sort of the natural dynamics of elections tighten in the final week of an election day. So you have a natural tightening and you have an 11th hour news event that does not play to Hillary Clinton's favor. It doesn't fundamentally change a dynamic in which she is still seen as having more paths to winning this election. But it does show you that they are concerned Um, about where they're winning and their margins and enthusiasm and turnout in places that they shouldn't have to be worried about it right now. I mean, that just makes, uh, I mean, not a lot of sense to me. So I'll be honest, when I saw the schedule, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, make another stop in Ohio, make another stop in Pennsylvania. Why Detroit? I mean, I'm just wondering, is it internal polling that's not showing as good of numbers? Is it something else that... Well, one thing we have seen, and this is in some of the early vote numbers, which we don't want to draw too big of conclusions from, but we are seeing some anecdotal data and some sense from campaigns that African-American turnout in particular, they're not hitting the numbers they're hoping to hit. Mm. Yes. And yeah. Detroit is an area where the black vote is going to matter a lot. And the black vote in Michigan is what delivered Barack Obama victories in 2008 and 2012. It's sort of hard to understate how crucial black voters are to the Democratic yeah. coalition 
in a, in a broader national yeah. sense. And, and also, you know, we saw in the primaries this season, Bernie Sanders won the Michigan primary because he did better with black voters than he did in other states. Yeah. And you don't think about necessarily like I think about another state, Wisconsin, which is a state that Hillary Clinton's gone in with an ad buy for the first time in the past couple of weeks. And in a state where the Senate race has tightened up between uh, Senator Ron Johnson and former Senator Russ Feingold. And people forget that the black vote in Wisconsin as well is what helped deliver victory yeah. there for Barack Obama. So it's interesting that you see Democrats nervous there because I think it's more about they're looking at their own coalition and saying we need to like yeah. it, it gin up our base and get people excited and show up. So Ozma came prep today with some interesting numbers on black turnout so far. We'll get to that later on in this episode. But Sue, earlier you were talking about a certain theory of what the Clinton campaign might be thinking about some down ballot races in these states yeah. and that influencing where she's going. You know, as I like to say, the president is not the important race this year. We've got yep. a lot of Senate races yeah. and House races that matter a lot. And most of those races overlap with the presidential battleground states. And you look at places like Michigan that, in theory, have some Republican House incumbents that should be in more competitive races because it's a national election year, because they represent Detroit area suburban districts, and they're not doing as well. And I think part of what Clinton's doing with these last minute targeted visits and trying to juice turnout it's not just about her own fortunes. I mean, at the end of the day, Hillary Clinton's probably still going to win a state like Michigan, but she is trying to help out parties down the ballot. You yeah. know, like she, if the next president, what they are able to do or not do is going to be incredibly dependent upon what Congress looks like. Mm -hmm. And if you're Hillary Clinton and you're trying to win, it's she, I think, has, has run a more concerted campaign than Donald Trump has in terms of bringing up candidates yeah. down the ballot in trying to win Senate races. In and, part because she has a party that's unified behind her in a way that the other side is not really as unified around but Trump. But that's what makes it so crazy to me of how, you know, people are talking about how tight this race is. I was just looking at the Real Clear Politics polling average that as of, you know, now, whenever we're taping, what is it, four o'clock in the afternoon with all the current polls that we have out, Hillary Clinton leads by a 1.9 percentage point edge. I mean, that's a really tight margin, considering that, you know, Clinton and the Democrats, uh, you know, it's like 10 on one. She's got FLOTUS, POTUS, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Bill Clinton. You know, she's got this whole operation that is scouring the country, going to different battleground states. And for much of this election cycle, Donald Trump has been a one man operation. But, you know, if this is a 10 on one game, even if Hillary Clinton has 10 people on her team, she's the one holding the ball. Barack Obama's not holding the ball for her. Neither is Michelle Obama. At the end of the day, it's about how people feel about that one. And also, Hillary Clinton is the one in this race that is swimming upstream against history. We are mixing our metaphors today. <laughs> <laughs> Basketball you know, swimming. But, At the end of the day. But by, you know, historical precedent in presidential races, the party in power does not win that third term. So yeah. she has, you know, there's a lot of different factors at play here. Although at the same time, this race has been unusually stable in okay. another way. Oh, yeah. In that, in terms of the two candidates, favorable, unfavorable numbers. They in stayed. terms of how they've polled in a lot of the key battleground states, if you go back and look at January, in a lot of these states, it never budged. In some yeah. ways, this has always been a three to six point race with inflection points along the way, according to like crazy things that happen in the news or outside events that, you know, move the bar yes. up or down. But I wonder how much this country has fundamentally changed from both a demographic standpoint and a political standpoint compared to four years ago. Yeah. 
That said, did I cut you off on your theory of down-ballot races? I don't think so. Do you have so. anything else to get in there? One more thing we might just want to say about Trump and part of why it's tightened is I also think we've seen some of the data in the closing weeks that a lot of the disaffected Republican has really come home <laughs> and that that he, they have lined up behind Trump. I think Mitt Romney won 93 percent of self-identified Republicans in 2012. And that margin has was at low at certain points of this race. And we've seen as in the, at the end, if you're a Republican, you've ultimately lined up behind Trump. And that's contributed to the tightening in the close. Speaking of voters lining up behind Trump, uh, Trump has said that even some voters that lined up behind the other person can still change their mind. Um, At a campaign event yesterday in Wisconsin, he said that he had a public service announcement and urged Democrats with, quote, buyer's remorse to change votes they've already cast. Let's hear the tape. Wisconsin is one of several states where you can change your early ballot if you think you've made a mistake. A lot of stuff has come out since you voted. So if you live here, or in Michigan, or Pennsylvania, or Minnesota, those four places, you can change your vote to Donald Trump will make America great again, okay? She is not going to make America You might hear this and on first hear say, what is he talking about? Asma, you did the research. What did you find out? So I asked this question to Tim Matisse. He's the head of the National Association of State Election Directors. And he told me that he is aware that in Wisconsin, Minnesota, New York, Connecticut, Louisiana, Hawaii, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, voters have an opportunity to make a correction to their ballot. That is, ballots which have not yet been cast if they feel like they've made a mistake. It's called a, quote, spoiled ballot. Now, this is really interesting because I was like, did you make a mistake initially? I was like, did you mean those who have cast a ballot? can?" And he's like, no, no, no. The issue is that if you mail in your ballot, it is technically not considered cast until election date, till those votes Uh, are counted. So it's... it's not for folks that have voted early in person. Correct. Okay. To my understanding, and I clarify with that with him, I always go, under this assumption, it sounds like only folks who used mail-in ballots would have the opportunity to, to quote, correct those ballots. And he said, that's right. Uh, you know, that being said, I have never heard of there being sort of droves of people uh, rushing to go correct their ballot. But hey, Donald Trump is saying, if you want to, you can. I've I mean, also never heard a major party nominee urge voters to do that. Well, it's not certainly not a strategy that's one necessary to win ultimately. But I'd also think, too, if you've early voted or you've mail-in balloted, you are probably the voter that knew who you were going to vote yep. for in June. Yep. You know, I, I, if you're still undecided or, or, or don't know what you're going to do, you probably haven't voted already. There you go. So Donald Trump wasn't the only one talking to the other party. Barack Obama talked to Republicans today. He was on the trail for Hillary Clinton in North Carolina. If you disrespect the Constitution before you're elected president and you threaten to shut down the press when it writes stories about you you don't like or threaten or you threaten to throw your opponent in jail without any due process or you discriminate against people of different faiths, then imagine what you'll do when you actually have the power to violate the Constitution along those lines. And, and I, I want to speak not just to Democrats, I want to speak to Republicans here in North Carolina as well. You know, I, look, I, I, I am obviously a partisan Democrat. I understand that, but we're not Democrats or Republicans first, we're Americans first. And there's certain, 
standards of behavior that we should expect out of our leaders. Well, you know, North Carolina is one of those states that, particularly as we talked about the race tightening, like North Carolina is a coin toss at this point in every poll that's come out. So I think the president trying to appeal to Republicans is like any vote <laughs> you can find <laughs> that might be still persuadable, you should go for it. Yeah. And there's a lot of, tra- I mean, North Carolina is a really interesting state because of the HB2 law. So HB2 is this bill in North Carolina known as the bathroom bill. It prevents transgender people from using bathrooms corresponding to the gender that they identify with. Um, And activists say it's discriminatory towards transgender people. And, you know, this is seen to be the the new wave in the LGBT rights movement. So I last week sat in on a focus group of swing voters in North Carolina. And one of the most interesting things in that conversation was how every single member of that group, and it was half men and half women, said HB2 was a motivating force for them, that it was something that was bringing them to the polls. To vote for who? Uh, And this is why it was so interesting. Uh And and it's a good reminder that, like, you know, conventional wisdom, you always, always have to be questioning these things, is that there was a lot of support for Trump in response to HB2 because collectively the room thought that HB2 was bad for the state because it hurt the economy. Yeah, lots of businesses said we're not going to do business with you anymore. Yes, and that it was not good for their jobs and for their state and that there was a lot of support for Trump because the fact that he's a businessman and seen as someone who just didn't want to wage these culture wars, that he wouldn't do that. But then there was also a lot of support in the room for Deborah Ross, who is the Democratic Senate candidate. And the thinking there was that it was the Republican establishment of North Carolina that supported HB2. And so they were voting against the establishment. So that is a split ticket voter who's voting for Donald Trump at the top and a Senate Democratic candidate. So that that to me with North Carolina is I think when you have an issue like HB2 that really galvanizes a state, Mm -hmm. it creates its own little ecosystem of things happening on the ground that may not be as tied to what's happening in other battleground states. You know, so... Also at issue with North Carolina is questions about black voter turnout, questions about restrictions on voting that might affect black voters. Asma, you've been digging into this. What have you found out? So I was just uh, speaking earlier this afternoon to Michael Bitzer. He's a professor in North Carolina who looks at all of the early voting data as it's coming in every day. And he told me as of today, African-American turnout is down 13 percent in the early voting compared to this point in 2012. Is it apathy or something else? So it's a couple things. I mean, one is, look, I think a lot of analysts have said for months there was always going to be this question that without the historic nature of Barack Obama at the top of the ticket, would African-Americans show up in the same numbers? But look, the other thing that is very unique to North Carolina is North Carolina for months has been battling uh, around voter ID issues and then now um, early voting restrictions. And so there's one particular county, Guilford County, which is home to Greensboro, a very large African-American population. And uh, for the early section of early voting, because there were sort Mm -hmm. of two periods of early voting, Guilford County only had one polling place open compared to 16 in 2012. And was that changed due to law changes? It's really complicated. But in a nutshell, due to changes that were you know, instituted to a great extent by Republicans in a lot of places, these changes were brought about. But look, the other thing I think to keep in mind is that this data can be interpreted in a lot of ways because Michael also told me that if you look collectively at early voting, despite the limitations on the number of polling places, you actually see early voting as a whole Uh, turnout is higher than it was in 2012. So while we see African-American turnout dipping, he thinks it's really complex and it's really hard to interpret because 
a group that he says that they're seeing turn out in huge numbers are unaffiliated voters. Hmm. And he's like, I just cannot interpret or guess how these unaffiliated voters are going to go. Uh, I mean, look, a lot of, you know, Sue and I have talked about this before, like white suburban women, where are they going to go? The assumption is maybe they would have been with Romney four years ago, but a lot of them have been turned off by some of Donald Trump's rhetoric. And then there's this old adage in North Carolina that, you know, there's a bunch of New Englanders who move the Republican in the North and they come to North Carolina and they discover that they're a Democrat. So there was also a story this morning that uh, a black church in Mississippi was set on fire Tuesday night and someone spray painted the words vote Trump on the church. This comes in the same week that the KKK's official newspaper. Yeah, they have one endorsed Donald Trump. Their endorsement reads, quote, while Trump wants to make America great again, we have to ask ourselves what made America great in the first place. The short answer to that is simple. America was great not because of what our forefathers did, but because of who our forefathers were. America was founded as a white Christian republic, and as a white Christian republic, it became great. The campaign quickly responded uh, and sharply rejected the endorsement from that group and said, quote, Mr. Trump and the campaign denounces hate in any form. Okay. You know, I do think that there has been... Um, both sometimes from the candidates and sometimes from people and sometimes from the groups supporting them, this air of intimidation and the suggestion of potential violence. And we have seen negative things happen, like at the Republican headquarters in North Carolina that was firebombed, this incident in Mississippi. And I do think it's very interesting that uh, last week there was reports that um, public schools in at least six or seven states are opting to close on Election Day this year because of that climate and a fear of violence and that so many polling places are located at schools that a lot of school administrators, and Pennsylvania is one of those states, Illinois is another, where they're just opting to keep kids at home. And I think that that's like a really is a sad statement on the climate in the country right now, particularly as someone who like went to public schools and the, our public school was the polling place. Yeah. And I remember Election Day growing up in schools is sort of these things are supposed to be about like civics and, and civic engagement and civility. And It seems like a lot of that has a lot of places have had to make decisions like that. And that is sad. Yeah, I will say, you know, a lot of experts that are involved in the work of monitoring these types of groups say some of this stuff is just hyperbole. Yeah. You know, there are people giving quotes to news outlets who won't give their own name. Right. So I mean, some of this stuff is just exaggeration. And, you know, every four years on a night as big as election night. Some stuff is just bound to happen. You know, people forget the night that Obama won in in, uh, 08. In spite of all the celebration, there were some acts of violence as well. Um, I'm going to say something really dorky because last week I was watching C-SPAN about this (laughs) and there was a elections professor who talked about this, that every every election night or day, there are always incidents of violence like scattershot throughout the country. And that's not necessarily unusual. But in this kind of climate, anything that happens will probably get more attention and be seen as more threatening than usual. Yeah. So before we take a break, one more little tidbit. I'm going to be out on the trail tomorrow, uh, Thursday, you guys. I'm going to, correct me, Sue, Berwyn, Pennsylvania? Berwyn. Berwyn. To see one Melania Trump. She's Mm. having a rally for her husband out there. It's been the first time we're going to hear her really speak publicly um, since the convention, right? Oh, wow. You know, she's had some smaller things here and there, but this is the first big thing since then. So we'll have more on this, obviously, tomorrow. Time for a break. We'll be right back. Support for NPR Politics Podcast and the following message come from Wix.com. 
who believes every great business needs a stunning website. With Wix.com, it's easier than ever to create yours. With all the things you need to look amazing online, images, videos, and professional text. And the best part is, you can do it all on your own. Go to Wix.com. Create your stunning website today. Okay, we are back. Sue, we've been getting a lot of questions about what's going on in your hometown of West Philadelphia, where you were born and raised. Northeast Philadelphia. Just say West Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there's a big strike going on there right now by transit workers. Here's a question we got about it. Quote, hi, Empire Politics. My name is Nina, and I am from Reading, Pennsylvania. Love the podcast. The SEPTA strike, which is currently going on in the Philadelphia area, has shut down all transit services, which handle a large volume of commuters every day. My question is, if this strike continues until next Tuesday, what could the effect be on the election results? I know you guys talked about the Philly area being a big reason why the Democrats have won the state. Thanks, Nina. Thank you. So what's the deal, Sue? So they are in day two of strikes of the transit workers, which affects all buses and trolleys and transports. It's about 5,000 workers. Um, it's a very good question. And it would, yes, it's reasonable to believe that if there were strikes on Election Day, some combination of voters may not be able to reach the polls. However, there's already talk in this in in this con- strike right now that SEPTA might try to um, file legal action to get people to work on Election Day. So even hmm. if the strike continues, they might take a time out and, mm-hmm. and work on Election Day to get people to the polls. There's also skepticism. And, and there have been strikes in transit in the Philadelphia area before on Election Days. And that while there is no question that it would limit access to some people, uh, the city of Philadelphia is so overwhelmingly Democratic that it would probably only have a a huge effect on the outcome if it was a very, very narrow race. And of course, it would probably disproportionately affect African-American turnout because the city of Philadelphia is that the vote there is predominantly African-American uh, and it's a Democratic stronghold. Democrats always win the city of Philadelphia. So a strike would disproportionately hurt Hillary Clinton and her voters. But the margin in Philly is expected to be so high that it probably would be more of a rounding error. Also, if you live in a city and, and this is true in D.C. too, um, where your polling place is, it's close to you, is often close enough to walk to. But it is an absolute inconvenience for a lot of voters. All right. So let's hear a recording we got today, just today, from Corey in Connecticut. Hey, y'all. This is Corey calling from West Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, I have been a Bernie guy. That didn't go well. So now I'm a Hillary guy, I guess. Uh, I've been showing my daughter clips of Hillary Clinton, and this is going to be historic. And I DVR'd her speech at the DNC, and everything was going great. And now there's this stuff going on, the email thing. My daughter this morning was like, Dad, what's up with Hillary Clinton, the FBI, and the investigation? Is she still one of the good guys? And I don't know what to do. I Am I excited about this? Is is Hillary Clinton going to be the role model that we wanted for all the little girls and young women growing up in this country? I don't know anymore. I'm confused. So if you could help me out, I love the podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Bye. Um, okay, so 
So these emails were found on a computer that one of her aides shared with her now estranged husband, uh, Anthony Weiner. And Corey, look, we have absolutely no idea what kind of emails they've found. The FBI is looking into it, and some of the emails may just be duplicates of the ones they've already checked out. So we can't pass judgment on that part of the story just yet. I have a bigger thing about role models and what we look for in role models. And I always try to remind myself when I'm looking for role models for myself that no one person can give you everything. I love Millie Vanilli for the dance moves, not the vocals. (laughs) And and it's like we cannot expect any person, any human uh, to be 100 percent in every category. I'm not saying that to speak highly or lowly of Hillary Clinton, but saying when we look for role models, can we say to ourselves, I admire this trait in this person. In that trait, in that person. And I can build a collage of things that I want to aspire to from a litany of people in the culture. That's my goal. And Corey kind of brings us back full circle to what we were talking about in the beginning, that in the close of this race, a lot of enthusiasm for Hillary Clinton seems to be either settling or dipping, partly because of the revelation of these emails and people being reminded of maybe the things that are skeptical about her, they don't like about her. And again, like at at its heart, this is a race between two people that are historically very unpopular. And, and flawed. And flawed. And I so I think that, you know, his sort of sentiment is something that we're seeing brought more broadly reflected at the race at this point in time. It just so happens at this point in time is days before Election Day. Finally, Asma, in yesterday's show, you talked about a guy named Michael McDonald. Mm-hmm. Well, we got this letter. Quote, I think in Sam's absence, you guys really missed an opportunity to sing some Michael McDonald yesterday. Longtime listener, love the show, Blaine. Thank you, Blaine. Also, I have Michael McDonald can sing. He was a leader in the, I guess, 80s wave of quote unquote blue eyed soul, a term that that is in itself problematic. But the dude can sing. This song right here called Keep Forgetting was sampled for the Warren G classic regulators. Uh, The vocals are nice. I think Sue can help me along with this. Also, this is perfect because Blaine is also like the <laughs> ultimate 80s movie name <laughs> of like the bad boy popular guy. I'm imagining Blaine walking down the high school hallway with his denim jacket collar popped, listening to this song on his uh, Walkman. And yeah. Molly Ringwald just wants to go to prom. There you go. Okay. Keep jamming, folks. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Do not forget, you can keep up with more of our coverage in the NPR One app and on your local public radio station. Also, if you like the daily episodes, leave us a quick review on iTunes. It actually helps new listeners find this show. P.S. Uh, for those following, vocalness posters went out in the mail today. You're mm. going to get them soon if you got them. Keep an eye on your mailboxes. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover demographics in the campaign. And I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.